Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. This morning, uh, we're going to start a brand new series walking through an Old Testament book of the Bible. And if you've been around, you know that we typically teach through books of the Bible so that we know that the entire Bible is relevant to our life. We teach through books of the New Testament. We also teach through books of the Old Testament. And even though there are a lot of people, including some pastors that say that's not a good idea, I'm kind of like, that's why it's in here for us to know, for us to understand, for us to see how we can apply it to our lives. Now, if you've also been around, you also know when we start a new book of the Bible, we only get through a couple of verses. So, um, if you want to go ahead and jump to the book of Nahum, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's one of the 12 minor prophets, and we're only going to get through a couple of verses uh, this morning. But we spend the time kind of going over the context and the detail so we can have a better understanding of how to apply it to our lives. Because, and I mentioned this last week, uh, there's different ways to apply a lot of stuff in the Bible. So there's some biblical content that's meant to be just a description of what happened. It's not meant for us to follow, but it's to describe, here's what God did, or here's what happened. For example, feeding of the 5,000, right? That's there for us to know. It's not for us to look for free fish sandwiches everywhere we go. That's not why it's there. It's just so that we know, here's what God did for these people, right? And then there's other things which are what we call a prescription. They're in the Bible, they're there so that if we apply it to our lives, it will make our lives better. But if we don't apply it, we're not crossing some line. We haven't made God mad. We're not sinning, right? And I'll give you an example because I had a discussion with someone about this. So there's a verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, he's talking to them about uh, false idol worship and about foods that were sacrificed to idols and all this type of stuff. And he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's a prescription. If we do stuff for the glory of God, it's going to make our lives better. However, comma, if you go out and you're sitting down and you eat a meal and you don't pray or you don't whatever, that doesn't mean you've crossed some biblical line, you've sinned and God is mad at you. It's much better when you do give glory to God for everything you do. And I give you an example. There's a, there's a bakery called Love Made Edible. I go there way too often. I do not go there as an act of God or worship to God. I go there because I love her cupcakes. They are delicious. And I love sugar. And sometimes when I go, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is great. Thank you for allowing me to be able to buy these. But sometimes I just go there and I start stuffing my face before I get to the car. Don't pray, don't give thanks. You're not sinning if you sit down and have a meal and you don't give thanks to God. We all acknowledge that all we have comes from God, but there's a, a, a line between, hey, this is in violation of God's will, and this is a prescription that if you apply it to your life, definitely gonna make your life better. So there are some things that are biblical content that are descriptions. They're just meant to describe what happened so we know what God did, we know what God can do. Some things are prescriptions 
If we apply it to our life, it's going to make our life better. But then there's some things that are instructions that are non-negotiable. Thou shalt not commit murder. Whether you read it in King James or whatever version, do not murder. Non-negotiable in God's eyes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Non-negotiable in God's eyes. It's an instruction. It's a command. If we call ourselves Christians, we're supposed to follow it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's non-negotiable. Jesus even went to so much uh, uh, information that he included in explaining to make sure we understand our neighbor is not just the person that lives next door to us. It's the person that doesn't look like us, doesn't think like us, doesn't believe like us, and in some cases, the person who may even hate us, which is hard, but we're supposed to love them like we love ourselves because that's what Jesus did for us. So there are some things that are descriptions, some things prescriptions, some things instruction, and the book of Nahum contains a little bit of all of these. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background before we jump in. So Nahum, as I said, it's one of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, there's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Abadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or what most people just say, the H word, right? Because pastors butcher that all the time. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We've gone through some of these, but not all. Uh, and actually, um, when you look at the 12 minor prophets, most people think they're minor because their message isn't as important, but that's not the case. They're called minor prophets just because their books are much smaller. Some are three, some are four, some are 12. But when you get to the major prophets, like Elijah, and uh, Isaiah, they've got like 66 books, right? Which are a lot more, so they're called the major prophets, right? So Nahum, one of the 12 minor prophets, but he is also, uh, his name means consolation or comfort. And what a lot of people think is that uh, his book was written to comfort Israel, right? Because they had seen, uh, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but a nation of Israel, once one country, then because of political and religious turmoil split into two nations. Not saying that that's what's going to happen to us, but the religious and political turmoil split them into a northern and a southern nation of Israel, and then the northern nation was destroyed by um, the Assyrian Empire, and the capital of that empire was Nineveh. So Nahum's letter is a judgment upon Nineveh, and so many people believe that gave comfort to Israel, like, yes, God is going to judge our enemies. He's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. So it's, his name means comfort, uh, but also it's a sequel to the book of Jonah. Now, how many people have read the book of Jonah? Most of us have. Uh, if we haven't read it, we're familiar with it uh, because of the whale portion of it. But the theme of the book of Jonah, the whale is just such a small portion the theme of the book of Jonah is God's desire to see his people go take his word of repentance and judgment and mercy and forgiveness to other nations and to people that don't look like them and don't think like them and are politically different from them because Syrian Empire, totally different uh, from Jonah. And if you look in the book of Jonah, stay in Nahum, uh, it says this in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, 
took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So Jonah went to go preach this message to them, and uh, shameless plug, I wrote a whole book about it, a devotional based on the book of Jonah, and in it, it I, I talk about the fact that there's a reason why when Jonah showed up, all of a sudden, he preaches that, hey, 40 days and you guys are done, that's it, and then all of a sudden, the entire city, everyone from the small people to the king, suddenly repents and believes him. And one of the reasons, there's several, but one of the major reasons is, is because Jonah, in their lifetime, had made another prophecy. And that prophecy came true in their lifetime. So when Jonah waltzed into their city saying, 40 days and you guys are done, they're like, that's the same guy who made this prophecy and said God would do this thing, and it came true, so they believed him. And that's why we believe the Bible, not because, as atheists say, we're just happy trusting some imaginary God in the sky, but because all of the prophecies, all of the prophecies in the Bible, except for the end time ones, have come true with 100% accuracy. And if they've come true, then we look at the ones that are about the end times and have the same God made those prophecies, so we believe those will come true as well. So Jonah preached this, and the whole city repented. Fast forward about 150 to 200 years, and they were back to their evil ways. And the king knew, hey, we, we're, we do evil, we do violence. They were a ruthless empire. Ruthless, violent, brutal, heartless, you name it. And the king knew it, and he said, hey, if we repent, God may relent. And God did, and he didn't destroy them. But then, uh, think about, it was about, let's say, four generations. I don't know how long a generation is. Four generations, 150, 200 years, four generations. So think about not your parents, not your grandparents, not your great-grandparents, but your great-great-grandparents. Did I get that right? Think four generations back. What was life like back then? Did they see the level of violence in the streets that we're seeing now, the level of crime? Did they see people treating the way that we treat one another right now? My son flew in and uh, he was telling me that he was sitting next to people on an airplane and they were talking about where they come from. They still don't lock their doors. They have very little crime. You know, the biggest crime is, you know, the, the, the poop on the yard that violates a civil law, that type of thing. And that's the type of culture that our great, 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 whatever grandparents experienced, which is different from what we're experiencing today, right? So Nahum is a poetic prophecy. It's a prophecy where God says, hey, here's the judgment that I'm going to bring onto the, the city of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Nahum, uh, but I'm going to put verses up here on the screen uh, just so we can 
because we're only going to get through a couple. Um, verse 1 says, A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. Now, most of us believe and understand that a prophecy is a revelation by God, and we relate it to something in the future, but that's not always the case. Usually a prophecy is just something that is God's previously unrevealed will. And we talked about on Mother's Day how uh, if you look in the complete Jewish Bible, uh, Proverbs 31 verse 1 starts as a prophecy of King Lemuel. It's, meaning it's a divine word. It's something that was previously unrevealed. It didn't have here's what's going to happen in the future. It just had here's God revealing something that he had not revealed before. right? And here's the thing. In the book of Nahum, as he prophesies, here's what's going to happen to Nineveh. And it's kind of poetic, right? But we know that just because something is poetry doesn't mean it's not true. There's poetry written about, uh, you know, the Holocaust and World War II. It's poetry, still true. There's poetry written about the events of 9-11. It's poetry, still true. So he uses some poetic terms, but he also uses prophecy to say, here's what's going to happen. There are about a dozen and these are minute but weird things that Nahum says God is going to do. About a dozen of those things, I mean, he says more, but about a dozen of them, historians have found, hey, look at this thing that happened in this city in Nineveh, and it matches up exactly to what God said through Nahum was going to happen. When they were looking for it, they weren't trying to prove or disprove God's word. There's just archaeologists and historians who say, hey, look at this thing that happened. But theologians said, hey, that thing that you verified historically happened was proclaimed here in the word of God. And again, this is why we trust God's word. So he says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. And people will look and see, say, hey, this is just you know, why I can't get on board with your God because he's just a mean and jealous God taking out his vengeance and his wrath on people. And I'm thinking, if people treated my family the way that people treated God's family, I would pour out my wrath on them too. If people did to my children the things that were done to the people of Israel, the things that were done to Christians, I'm not talking about when people talk bad about us on Facebook, not that kind of thing, but the physical, um, uh, the harsh treatment. And we say, well, we don't see that really here in the United States, but all over the world today still, there are nations where if they go share the gospel, they are beaten, they are stoned, uh, women are mistreated, can't say more next to their children in the room. And there are people who are killed, they're put in prison, they lose their jobs, they lose their homes. Their family members who the day before loved them, went to dinner with them, shared a meal with them, and laughed with them, the next day, if they proclaim Jesus as Savior, will turn them in to be beaten, stoned, or killed. That's today. That isn't in the first century, second century, third century. That's what's happening around the world today. So yes, God takes vengeance and pours out his wrath on those people who mistreat his people. And this is why we know when it talks about the wrath of God being poured out in the end times that we're not going to go through it because we're not the enemies of God. 
And he says, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds or the dust of his feet. And that's kind of that poetic language. But what the theme that's being emphasized uh, throughout the book of Joel, I mean, excuse me, the book of Nahum, is that God is going to judge all nations and all humanity because there are physical and spiritual consequences for our actions. Every single person on the planet, every single nation on the planet is going to have to answer to God. And this isn't a fear tactic that we as pastors are trying to use to scare people into coming to church. This is the truth that we as pastors have an obligation to reveal to people that this is what God is going to do. Now, um, look at what he says through the prophet Joel. He says, in those days, meaning in the last days, and at that time, meaning in the end times, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, this is God the Father speaking through the prophet Joel, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, there I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and they sold girls for wine and drink. So to the Old Testament people, God said, hey, I know times are harsh, but I want you to know there is a day coming in the end times when I am going to hold people accountable for what they did to my people Israel. And people say, well, that's just the, the Old Testament. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen to us as Christians, and we're exempt from that. That's not true, because if you jump forward to the book of Matthew, what Jesus says is when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations, I want to repeat that, all the nations, not all the nations that exist at that time, all the nations that have ever existed will be gathered before him and he will set the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and no disrespect to those sitting on the right or left, but then the king, and that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, I'm not going to go into detail, but the next couple of verses explains how he's judging them, his moral standard of how they treated other people, did they take care of other people, did they use the spiritual resources he made available to them to help others. And the only reason he's doing that is because it's God's moral standard that we're going to be judged against, not a nation's, not a politician's, not what anyone else thinks is right. And the only way that we're able to meet God's moral standard is if we have God's Holy Spirit. And the only way we get God's Holy Spirit is, why, is by stepping across the line of faith and accepting him as Lord and Savior. And for everyone who does that, he's going to say, hey, come, you're going to inherit the kingdom this was my plan for you from the beginning of time. But then he's going to say to the people on the left, and no offense to those on the left, he's going to say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and the angels, 
And he's going to use the exact same standard that he used for the people on the right. But here's the thing. There are people today sitting in the pews who call themselves Christians that don't want to help others, don't want to love their neighbor, and aren't living in accordance with God's moral standard. And a lot of that is because they don't have God's Holy Spirit. And a lot of that is because they call themselves Christians just because they walk into this building. But that's not the standard that God's going to use. There was a woman that asked me online. She said, this is my difficulty. Because God will look at someone who did something extremely wrong or maybe hurt children, and if they repent and accept him, he'll let them into their kingdom. But someone who has done like mean, horrible things all their life, right? God will accept them if they repent, but then if you take this person who thinks they're good and has done good deeds and showed up at the food bank and showed up at the diaper bank and showed up at the blessing board and sat in the pews all their life, but God will reject them, and he explains in that verse why. He's because you weren't doing my will. You were doing what you thought was right in your own mind. And he's not going to judge them by their standard of good. He's going to judge them by his standard of morality. And we can't step over this because you who are cursed, he says, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And we've talked about this before, not to dwell on it, not trying to scare people. But an eternity separated from God isn't going to be in some pitch darkness. It isn't going to be just you're alone by yourself. It isn't just you're going to be asleep for eternity. He says it's going to be an eternal fire. And people say, well, how could a, a just and loving God send people there? He didn't prepare it for people. He prepared it for the devil and his angels because in God's just logical mind, why would anyone in their right mind choose an eternity in fire versus an eternity with God? So there was no reason for him to say, hey, I'm going to prepare this for the people that reject me because who would reject that? Who would reject eternal love and goodness and mercy and kindness so they can have eternal fire? No one in their right mind. But then people will, and so he will say to them, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this is, this is the judgment that will happen to every single person on the planet. This is the judgment that Nahum reminds us is going to happen uh, because he talks about it happening to the people of Nineveh, even though they were at a point where, yeah, they repented. 150 to 200 years later, they were back to forgetting about God. They were back to evilness. They were back to mistreating one another, robbing one another, hurting one another. And God said, I'm going to judge them. And this is why, for us, this is why I'm going to share this as the band comes up really quick. Our hope should not be in nations. Our hope should not be in, you know, if we create this great nation in the United States, everything will be okay. That's not the case. If we align ourselves with this other nation, everything will be okay. Not the case. Our hope should not be in nations, and our hope should not be in politicians. There's a verse in the Bible that says we shouldn't trust in kings because once they die, their hopes and their dreams die with them. And our hope should not be in money because there's nothing that we can buy. Not only that, we're seeing economies fail. We've seen nations rise. We've seen politicians make promises that never come to fruition. We've seen where people with the most power in the world are not doing the best things for the world. So our hope 
should be in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, I pray that as we leave here today, that we take the heart of the message that can only come from hope in you, hope in your goodness, hope in your righteousness, hope in seeing your will done in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.